0: Passage by passage, verse by verse. Today we're suspending that just for uh, this week. Obviously, special occasion with the baby dedication, but also with our missions conference coming up. I'd like to preach actually on both things if I can. And I believe the Lord's given me a passage uh, here this morning that does that. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 1 is where we'll begin. And we're going to end in verse number 14. Now you guys don't mind if a baby acts up. That we expect that on a day like today. We expect that any Sunday, don't we? <laughs> hey, kids are human. That happens. So don't, don't worry if that, if that goes on. Matthew 18, verse 14. Let's just read that to begin with, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Verse 14 says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So Father, we come to you now once again in prayer, simply asking you to bless this message to bless the sermon, to prepare the hearts, to give the people ears to hear. I pray that you might help me as I preach to speak with the tongue of the learned. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would stir in our hearts today, that we would walk away knowing that we've met with you. Speak to us now, God. We need it. We want it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to preach to you a, a simple sermon, I believe, called The Little Ones. The Little Ones. And from the beginning of the chapter, you can see how Jesus focuses on the little ones. Verse number one, it says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, greatest as in the most important. And I think it's rather obvious from the verse that the disciples who were asking this thought that it would be one of them. Might I just also tell you that this is not the only time the disciples had this conversation. Even in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, this is towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the disciples again are arguing about who is going to be the greatest. Jesus so smartly answers them in verse 2. Jesus called a little child unto Him and set Him in the midst of them. Now just briefly, if I can clue you in on the little child how old is this little child well Jesus called to this child and the child could respond so the child was old enough to understand what was going on how old was he We're not sure but this same word little child in some context it can refer to an infant but then there's one place in the Gospels where Jesus raises a 12 year old girl from the dead and this is the same word that's used little child so this, this age group can span quite a, quite, a, uh, quite a few years. He called the little child unto Him and set Him in the midst of them. Verse 3, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Their idea was completely backwards as to who would be the greatest. They thought that the requirement for being the greatest had to do with your calling. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm called to be prophet, pastor, missionary, whatever it is. That did not make them great in the eyes of the Lord. Not their calling. What made them great? Their willingness to listen, learn, and let God change them. The lesson is, guys, if you want to be great, and this is the irony of the Christian life, things are backwards. In the book of Acts, chapter number 17, it says that when Jesus comes in, He turns the world upside down. You know, metaphorically, obviously, but the world upside down. Everything just changes, so if you want to be exalted, what's the secret to it? Humble yourself. These men wanted to be exalted through their own efforts. And Jesus is saying, guys, you have the completely wrong picture of this. What I consider great is a humble attitude. Is somebody who comes and says, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. Lord, I've been following You for some time and these disciples had, and yet still they, are, they remain teachable, willing to listen, learn, and let God change them. Many times I've heard people say from this passage, you need a childlike faith. And I appreciate the sentiment of that in many ways. I I understand what that means. A childlike faith. Just simply believing what God has said about His Son. Yes, we need a childlike faith when it comes to that. Listen, uh, believing what God said is not as complicated as we think it is. You, You know what's difficult? It's the application of what He says. Years ago, Mark Twain, who was not a believer at all, he said it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that trouble me. It's the things I do understand. It's Jesus saying to His own disciples, verse 3, except ye be converted. You guys are getting lifted up with pride. And you're in danger of, verse 3, not even entering the kingdom. Remember, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. There's no body of Christ They don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At this point, they could still get lifted up with pride and be rejected even of the kingdom. He says, you guys got to keep the right attitude. Stay humble. Quit worrying about who's the greatest and who's better than whom. That shouldn't even be the conversation. Jesus is actually not talking about a childlike faith. He's talking about childlike humility. Because children as they grow, if we're raising them right, children are supposed to continually be learning. Moms and dads, just a little bit of advice. It's one thing to encourage your kids. It's one thing to compliment them and to affirm good behavior. Please do not give them the idea that they have it all figured out. I know they are your little angel, but they are the world's little devil. (laughs) Be aware of that. You deeply love them, but we are looking at them from a very objective standpoint, going, yeah, they're precious and all, but <laughs> they shouldn't have it all figured out as a little child. A little child stays humble and says, Keep teaching me, Ma, Pa, tell me how this, how does life work? They need that. That's the attitude Jesus says will not only gain you entrance, but also exaltation in the kingdom. Somebody who stays humble. Jesus expands on this in verse number five. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Jesus says there's a connection between this little child and me. If this little child comes in my name and you receive him because he came in my name, you realize you're treating him special because I'm special. So now every little child is special in that they are one of God's created people right I mean God made that child so that in and of itself they bear the image of God broken as it may be because of Adam's sin they bear that image of God and therefore we should treat them as special but when a child and and let's be clear on this young people I'm finding them as I move about the room with my eyes young people that can understand little children 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, they can be followers of Christ and no less important to God. Jesus says be careful that when one of those little ones, those little disciples comes in My name, that You treat them as something special because of their connection to Me. Now if you want to understand what does it mean to receive them, let's just look at the other side of it in verse 6, but whoso shall offend... One of these little ones which believe in me. It were were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. What a statement. Do not get in the way of anybody. Especially a little one. Knowing the Lord. Do not put that thought in that little one's mind that there's anything wrong with Christ, knowing Christ, serving Christ, following Christ. Moms and dads, be very careful. Be mindful in your home that you do not put a bad taste in the mouth of your children for Christianity. There are many ways that you could offend one of those little ones. Imagine taking lightly the things of God in your home. One time a pastor went to visit his members and he stepped into their home, and I think you guys have a, what do you call it in your homes, the Pastur Sekamer, in your home? That's in the older Afrikaner homes, right, the Pastur Sekamer, that's that's the room dedicated for the pastor when he visits, for the domini when he visits. So this woman, he comes in, he's going to make the, the, the visit, you know, basukala. And then he, he comes in and, and the, the mom turns to one of the little girls and says, Now, now, sissy, go get that book that the family loves so much and bring it in here. You know the book I'm talking about. Go get that book. Oh, okay. Yeah, ma. She runs in the other room. She comes back with a TV guide. <laughs> mom was trying to say go get the Bible. But, but the daughter knew the reality of it. Make sure that you are not making it more difficult for your kids to know Christ. Make it an easy, make it a a straight, narrow path, a one-shot right to Him. Don't offend Him. You can offend Him greatly by stepping out of church on a Sunday morning and running down what the church has just said and done rather than saying, this is something special. We need to do something about it. You say, Pastor, I don't do that. I, I don't step out and run the church down. Don't complain about it. And and honestly, I don't think a lot of you do, although it might happen, but but you know what's also dangerous? You step out and never discuss it. It's as if it didn't happen. And the child picks up on that. And then the child grows up and when it's time for them to make their own decisions, should I go to church or should I not? All they have in their memory is I spent 18 years doing this and it was absolutely useless. Mom and dad never did anything about it. Why should I? and thereby offend them that little child comes to you and say mom dad I want to be a follower of Christ and might I say church let's extend this beyond the family if if a little child says I'm interested in following the Lord and anybody hinders them from that anybody downplays that as if it's not that important you are causing them to stumble that's the meaning of offend them you're slowing them down you're hindering them that they should not obey the truth according to jesus that's a very serious offense verse 7 jesus kind of expands and we're going to say more in verse 10 about the little ones but for a moment for a few verses jesus expands on the offenses verse 7 woe unto the world because of offenses for it must needs be that offenses come listen not that god scripted out the offenses god has not decided who's going to do what sin God, that's not in God's nature. God does not choose on our behalf what kind of evil things we would do. But He knows that people, because we have a free choice and we have a fallen nature, that offenses will come. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. In a nutshell, what He's saying is, I know mistakes are going to happen, but make sure you're not the one making the mistakes. Say, but pastor, I'm just human. Then when you make a mistake, be real quick to say, that was me, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, let me make that right. You know, you know what that would take to do that? Childlike humility. Because you know what we do as adults, when we make a mistake, we become master manipulators at covering up the truth. But a, but a child with this kind of humility, uh, humility would just step out and go, you know, I'm not that great. For, forget the argument about who's the greatest. I'm not that great. I've made a mistake. But God help me. I want to do better. Verse 8 and 9. We'll take them together. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut, it, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Jesus said the punishment for not knowing me personally, not being saved and born again, that everlasting fire, you should do anything it takes to avoid that. Anything that is stopping you from knowing Christ properly, fix it. Get the stumbling block out of the way. Even if it's something as drastic as losing a hand or a foot, if you honestly cannot... Put those things down. Put down whatever that sin is that's keeping you from Christ and say, Lord, I love you more than I love that sin. Then, if you need to take drastic measures, take them. That's how important this is. Perhaps, moms, dads, you need to make a drastic overhaul in your home so that it doesn't look like a worldly home but a godly home. And you might have to hit the big red button that blows everything up and starts completely over push the button it's that important you might have to say to your kids in the house mom and dad has been doing this wrong and we're going to change we're going to cut some things off verse number 9 if thine eye offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire remove Anything from your life that is stopping you from knowing the Lord fully and genuinely. Take seriously what Jesus has said. You say, this is hyperbole. He's just exaggerating. I don't think so. I think that's how serious it is. If it really requires this much of a step, it's worth taking. Verse number 10, we return back to our theme of the little ones. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. So be careful. Pay attention. Take heed means pay attention. Pay attention. Don't take for granted. Don't take lightly one of these little ones. Why? He gives us a couple of reasons. Number one in verse 10. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Why should we pay close attention to the little ones? Because heaven pays close attention to the little ones. The Father has assigned angelic guardianship to your children. Do you see that in the verse? There are angels watching over that child and they stand, verse 10, before the face of the Father. Right? They stand before the face of the Father. So, can I paint out how this might be happening this morning? The father looks to that guardian angel and says, give me a report. How is that, uh, how's that child doing? And that angel says, well, Lord, that, that child's quite nervous this morning. That child has been weeping this morning. And the father says, oh, what's the problem? Well, that child's been listening to their parents fight all night. that child is scared that mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore. Can you imagine if the angel had to say that about your home? Jesus says, hey, you better take heed. You better pay attention because the angels are watching and they're reporting back to God. God says to that angel, tell me, how's it going in that home? And that angel says, you know what? We've, we've been a little concerned. That child has been... Scared and, and hiding and spending more time outside. Oh, it's just scared because dad keeps coming home drunk. This child is huddled up in her bed and pulled the blankets up over her head because mom keeps using really bad language. It keeps yelling at the other kids. Yelling at her husband. Angel, how's it going with that child? Well, that child's really heartbroken and lonely because that child used to go to church every Sunday, used to be in Sunday school, but now mom and dad doesn't take him anymore. And that child's really depressed and sad. Jesus says, "Take heed. The Father has assigned heavenly guardianship to your children. Take that seriously." So let me ask this question, what can we provide for our children? The Father's done his part. We'll see he, he's done even more, but what can we provide? Well, as a church, we can provide a, sum, a sun, Sunday school with substance. We are not a daycare. We're not here to play games with your kids. We do, but that's not the sole purpose. We teach them something. From a young age, they start learning the Bible. We figured it up at one point. If a child is born and raised in this church, they will have gone through the entire Bible three and a half times. By the time they reach the age of 18. Do you know how many adults have not even gone through the New Testament once yet? All you got to do is come to Sunday school. You'll get it three and a half times. The whole Bible. Plus games. We have a Thursday night youth Bible club. Guys, I can't tell you how excited I am about that youth Bible club. There has been such a wonderful energy amongst those kids. If your kids are not involved in that, I would strongly encourage you to get them involved. We're organizing youth camps. We're going to continue to do all we can as a church to minister to the kids. But the greatest thing that we as human beings can provide for the kids are godly parents. Genuine, sincere, sincere, Real parents listen that will practice what they preach. Moms, dads, we do not expect you to be perfect. We expect you to make a perfect effort. Does that make sense? That when you get it wrong, you immediately say, "Let me make that right." Wouldn't it be something for your child to say, "My dad, he may not have been a preacher. He wasn't the pastor of the church. He never he never graduated from a Bible school." He was never in the ministry, but my dad, my mom, sincerely loved the the Lord with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Parents, can you imagine a greater compliment than your child growing up and in their 20s or 30s saying, I'll tell you one thing, my mom and dad weren't perfect, but they were real and they loved God. I know that. They loved God. I don't, listen, as kids grow up, they have to make their own choices. We cannot force them to choose one thing or the other, but we can, by practicing what we preach and being sincere, true worshipers of God, give them the very best chance of making a good choice. Moms and dads, don't leave it up to the church to be the spiritual influence in your child's life. That starts with you at home. In verse 11... Jesus takes this another step. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Take heed to your little ones. Pay attention to them. Special attention. Why? The Father has sent angels to watch over them and then secondly, the Father sent His Son to seek them. Do you see the word for at the beginning of verse 11? For the Son of Man. Take heed. Why? For I say unto you, in, in heaven the angels walk. And then verse 11, 4, the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. So let me ask you a quick question about this. If Jesus is seeking their souls, shouldn't we be seeking their souls? If Jesus is mindful of their spiritual condition, shouldn't we be mindful of their spiritual condition? Jesus is trying to find them. Do you see this in verse 11? He's looking, L- young, young kids, listen, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13. L- look up here. If you're young, well, Mizak, y- 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 young, <laughs> anybody, anyway, y- young folks, look up here. Jesus is looking for you this morning. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. He didn't come looking for mom and dad only today, he's looking for you. He wants you little ones to be followers of Him. He takes you seriously. Now, moms and dads, you need to be aware of that. If Jesus is looking for them, do not hide them from Him. Do not make that search more difficult. You know the best place for Jesus to find one of those little lambs that has gone astray? Is right here near the sheepfold. Moms and dads, when you don't bring them to church, you're making it more difficult for the shepherd to find their souls. Jesus is a soul seeker. He is soul conscience. If we cannot be soul conscious in our homes, if we do not care about the spiritual condition of the people in our homes, why would we even start to think about the, the, the condition of souls in South America? Why would we care about the souls in Russia or China or the South Sea Islands or Europe or North Africa? Why would we care about them? Why would we want to go to India or to Malawi? Why would we do this? If we are not seeking the ones that are right there in front of us every day, concerned about their spiritual condition, why get involved in missions? At the very heart of God, every time His heart pumps, He's looking for a sinner that he can save. Jesus is soul conscious. He's he's a soul seeker. He has come, verse 11, to save that which is lost. To save them from what? From their lost condition. But you understand if you're lost, you end up... The Bible calls it destruction. Everlasting destruction. Everlasting fire. Everlasting punishment. Jesus desires to save you from that. Do you know what Jesus might have to do? He might have to save the little ones from bad parents. You realize it might be extra hard for some children to get saved because mom and dad, they were offending the little one instead of bringing that one to Christ. Verse number 12, Jesus gives us a short parable. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep... And one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Yes, he does. Jesus doesn't look at it and go, '99% isn't bad.' He wants the whole 100%. And he'll go looking for the little one. Jesus should not be alone in this endeavor. We should not be satisfied, well, we got a good church here in Potch, and praise God for that. My, my family, you know, we're all churchgoers, so we're good. No, no. There are other people that still need to be found. Jesus said it like this earlier on in Matthew's Gospel. He said, he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Quick question, everybody. Please, please think on this. Are you gathering with him? Are you helping Jesus seek for the lost sheep? Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, if you're not gathering with me, you're scattering abroad. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what denomination you were raised in. If you're not helping gather sheep for Christ, you're helping the devil scatter them into eternity. That's the reality of it. Jesus will leave the 99. How special is your child? He'll leave the 99 to go look for that lamb. Now, our kids are people. They are not animals, really. <laughs> I mean that. <laughs> they might act like it sometimes, and if you have teenage boys, they might eat like it sometimes, but they're not animals. Unlike an animal, you pick up the animal, right? The animal's lost. You pick it up. You bring it home. You put it in the sheepfold, right? The, the lamb's lost. Now it's found. Done, Right? It's not that easy with your kids. They have to make that decision. All we can do is lead them to that right place to make that right choice and then give them that choice. That's going to take some effort. That's going to take some prayer. Mom, dad, you can't, you cannot bring your kid forward at a dedication and walk away today and go, oh, now they're Christians. I've saved them. They're Christians. It's not that easy. You know what you're going to have to do? Humble yourself like a little child and go, God, I need a lot of help with this. Verse number 13, he says, And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Jesus tells us here what he rejoices in. The disciples we saw earlier in the passage, they were struggling with some humility issues, right? They thought Jesus would rejoice most in the best of us. Look at how much I serve you. Look at all the wonderful works that I've done. Look at all the miracles. Look at all the souls that I've preached to. Look, look at me, look at me. And Jesus says, That's not, that doesn't make me rejoice. I'm not going to rejoice because you're a great guy and well accepted amongst the community. Jesus doesn't rejoice because we prove how important we are. You know what Jesus rejoices in? When somebody recognizes, I've gone astray. And I want, now that the shepherd's found me, I will let the shepherd pick me up and bring me home. Jesus says, I rejoice in that. I rejoice in that one, watch this, watch how it all comes together. I rejoice in that one who humbles himself or herself enough to say, my whole life I thought I had it figured out, I didn't. I've been astray, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God. I am not enough to save myself. My righteousness is not enough. I am a broken, ungodly, defiled sinner in the sight of God. And God, I need help. I've fallen, I've skinned my knee, I've bumped my head, and I don't know how to move on just like a little kid just sits there and cries until somebody comes and lovingly picks them up and brings them home. And Jesus says, that's what I rejoice in. That guy that humbles him or herself enough to admit that they need help, admit they need a shepherd, admit they need somebody to get them back into the fold. Jesus says, you know what would make me really happy is not you figuring out your rank on the greatness scale, but if you disciples would get interested in bringing other people to Christ. He says, that would be great in my sight. Lest you think, just parenthetically here, lest you think, well, Pastor, you know, I'm not one of those lost ones. I was born into a Christian family. I was born a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I'm one of the ninety and nine that went not astray. Truth be told, none of us fit into that group. You realize that, right? None of us do. And you say, how do you know that? The Bible tells me so. (laughs) Isaiah 53, verse 6. That great chapter about the Messiah. You know what that says? All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like, all. You know what that means in the original Hebrew? All. 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 Um, Tommy, all due respect, even you, even me, you 12 year olds and 7 year olds and 5 year olds, even you, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. Thank God for this last part. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. At one point or another in your life, you need to come to that humbling moment where you admit, I'm not one of the ninety and nine. I'm that lamb. I'm that sheep that has sinned against God. And the only one that can save me is Jesus because all of my iniquities and sins were laid on him. He took my place. He paid for my sins. And no one else could ever do that. So I'm trusting him to get me home, not myself. You know where it starts? By you admitting that you've gone astray. This, this parable that Jesus has used about the 99, he uses this like two or three times in his ministry. And it fits in different contexts. There's another context where he tells this to some Pharisees. And I'll tell you why it's important this morning that you know that. The Pharisees thought because they were born into a Jewish society. They had Jewish culture, Jewish traditions. And they were living as good Jews, so they thought. They figured we are automatically part of Abraham's covenant. We were born into this blessing. And Jesus says, you think... That you have no need of repentance. You think you're one of the 99, you're not. In our society, we just substitute Jewish with Christian. I was born into this Christian home, I've been born with Christian traditions, I was baptized and sprinkled as a baby, and on it went from there. And that doesn't make you Christian. You personally acknowledging your fallen condition and need for a Savior. Verse number 14. Where we began, even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus explains the parable now. He didn't come to simply look for the older folks, although He's looking for you too. He came to look for the little ones. Moms, dads, have you ever asked your children about their soul? Jesus is looking for them. It's not the will of our Father in heaven that even one, not one, not one little one should perish. God wants to save them all. You say, well, He's chosen some and not others. No, sir. Not one. He doesn't want one of them to perish. Not one. He wants them all to be saved. How many of you know this song? Jesus loves the little children. You know that song? All the children of the world red and yellow black and white they are precious in his sight jesus loves the little children of the world you know that song do you know how it really goes cuz after you sing the first verse it goes faster you guys want to try jesus loves to sing with me jesus loves the little children all the children of the world red and yellow black and white they are precious in his sight jesus loves the little children of the world Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Here we go, Jesus loves little children. (laughs) That actually has no place in my sermon. I just wanted to sing it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's fitting with the topic, but it doesn't fit with my point in verse 14. Can I connect it by saying this? He loves them, you ought to also. He's seeking them, you ought to also. You know what? You know one of the best things you could do for the little one in your home? Mom, dad, ask yourself today, am I saved? This is a great way to start a missions emphasis week. Let's go ahead and see somebody saved right here in Potsdam. One day Jesus was passing through town, as he often did, and word got out, I don't know, somebody posted it on Facebook or Instagram or something, that Jesus was coming through town, putting up posters, and a man named Zacchaeus heard about it. Remember Zacchaeus, a tax collector? A wee little man was he, (laughs) Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord. Remember that? And he saw the Lord and as the Lord passed by, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. You know the song, don't you? You know what the Bible says about Zacchaeus? He repented. And the Bible says, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today. the next verse, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation has come to this house. Why? Because dad got saved. Because dad got saved. In the book of Acts, we read about a man named Cornelius. He was a religious man. He gave alms, that is, he gave to the poor. He prayed, he fasted. How many of us can say that? He was a religious man, but one day an angel appeared to Cornelius and said, God has seen all your works. He knows what you're doing, but it's not enough, Cornelius. The fact that you're trying hard and you're devout is not enough to save you. Call for a man named Peter and he'll tell you what you need to do to be saved. You know what Cornelius did? He gathered all of his friends and family into the house and was ready for Peter to show up, Peter walked in and said, okay, this is strange. I'm a Jew. You guys are Gentiles. This is not normal. But God told me that I'm supposed to preach to you. And he gave him the gospel. He told him that anybody that believes on Christ can be forgiven. All of their sins can be remitted. The Bible says the Spirit of God came down on that home that day. You know why? Because one man, Dad, was humble enough to say, what I've been trying wasn't enough. God told me there was something else I needed to do. And that day, instead of trusting His own righteousness, He trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as His Savior. Dad, the best thing we can do to reach the little ones in your home is to reach you. I got saved at the age of 20. Not a little one, but a littler one compared to my dad. I called my dad, I called my grandpa, my grandma, my aunts aunts and uncles. I called them all and said, Please, haven't you heard about the gospel? All of them had been going to church their whole life. None of them had been saved. You know, it is very difficult for parents to listen to the kids. When the little one comes to mom and dad and says, Mommy and daddy, are you saved? Oh, that'll that'll prick your heart. But it's, it's tough to listen to that little one. You know how it works much better? It's much more natural when mom and dad come to the little one and go, hey, we got saved. Now I want to teach you how to be saved. It works so much better that way. The will of the Father is that not one little one should perish. The best way to save that little one, mom, dad, you get saved. And if you've never been saved, um, Tani, never been saved, today's your day. Salvation can come to your house today. You know how it's going to start? Humble yourself like a little child and go, maybe I need to learn something else. Today I need to admit that I've never personally received Jesus Christ as my Savior, but today I can do that. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed, pianist will come. In just a moment, we'll dismiss, but I want to give you just a minute or two. This is as private as we can make it, so we ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just so that everybody has a moment to stand before the Lord. I didn't preach this morning a message that Was meant just for my church. You understand this is something that everybody needs to hear. God help us to take heed to the example we set for the little ones. God help us not to be a stumbling block. mom dad are you saved if you died today are you 100 percent sure that you would go to heaven say pastor I'm not completely sure of that we would love oh, we would love before you leave today would you if you even got questions about it let us show you from the Bible how you can be 100% sure. Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure. Would you be willing today, in all humility, to say, Lord Jesus, I've gone astray. Please pick me up, put me on your shoulders, and bring me back to God. Would you do that? Would you do that this morning? And then you can go home and tell your kids... Today, your dad met the Lord. Today, I know that Jesus came into my heart. And, kids, I want you to know I'm going to try to be a good Christian dad from this day forward. You couldn't do anything better for your kids than that. Are you saved? If you're not, there's good news. The shepherd is looking for you. Don't run. Don't hide. Let him find you. Let him pick you up and bring you home. In a moment we'll close in prayer. I, I just want to know who I'm going to pray for. If you're here. And you're not sure that you're saved. Listen this is completely private. It's you, me and the Holy Spirit. That's it. I just want to pray for you. Okay. I can't save you. I just want to. Ask God to help you. Would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Just say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm, I haven't considered this before, and I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you be willing to admit that? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. Thank you. Thank you for that. I see that hand. Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. Oh, God, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I see that hand. Thank you. It gets hard right now because, oh boy, if I put my hand up, that's that would be humbling. Yes, it would be. Just like that little child. You gotta be humble like that little child. Anybody else say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm not sure. Right, I appreciate your honesty. Father, we come to you now, and I I bring these. Specifically, the hands that went up. Lord, there they are. There's some sheep. Lord, it seems like they're real close to the sheepfold, but they're not there. I pray that today, not only they would find you, but you would find them. You were looking for us long before we ever looked for you. Might this be the day they get reconciled to God through you. Lord, for the rest of us, help us to take seriously the little ones, their souls. But Lord, that being said, any lost soul. We want to be like you. We want to be seeking that which is lost. Father, bless these families now as they go their separate ways on this special day. Bless their fellowship. We pray for our missionaries again. Have your hand on them. Thank you for what you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And uh, Lord willing, everybody gets home safe. I'll see you out front if you want a picture just now.